Welcome to Legacy Church, Amelia Island. We pray that you are blessed by the message that you are about to hear, and we believe that it will help you leave a Christ-glorifying legacy for generations to come. Well, church family, go ahead and put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. So good to be in the house. We honor and welcome you for making God's house a priority during the summertime. Welcome online family. Thank you for joining us here today and being a part of all that God is doing. Turn your neighbor and say, happy 4th of July. Anybody excited about 4th of July? Yes. We celebrate the independence we have here in our country and the freedoms that we have. Anybody know how old the United States of America is going to be? Anybody? 247 years old. How about that? We're almost 300 years old. Well, we honor God, not just for the freedoms that we have on the outside, but I believe freedoms that we have internally. And so as we celebrate this holiday, I pray that we lead well in the people who are not just physically free, but spiritually free. Amen? Amen. And as we pray for our country, don't just set the fireworks off and men half burn a thumb or a finger off, all right? But let's pray that we are people that are praying over our nation, that we'd be spiritually free from every household to every leader of every state and, and the heads of our country, that we'd be a people that we do more than just celebrate a holiday, but we'd be prayerful about this time. Amen? What a great time to be in the house of God, to be a part of Legacy Church. I hope you know you're part of a healthy church. I hope you know you're part of a thriving church. I hope you know you're part of a church that loves not just to bring people together on a Sunday, but loves to disciple people and loves to meet people right where they are, and, and just wants to reach the lost and the hurt and the broken heart. Like, this is who we are as Legacy Church, and, and thank you for being a part of that. Well, today we, we walk into a new series. Someone is looking at the neighbor saying, finally. It's okay. I'm with you. But we're in this series, literally from Resurrection Sunday to last Sunday, we were following the steps and, and just tracing all the visitations from Jesus. And as you can see, it took some heavy lifting. It, it took a while. But I think there was something sweet about that, that we just, hey, we'll go at your pace, Lord, however you want to reveal this thing to us and, and follow the scripture. And so as we saw the encounters of Jesus and we began to ask the question, what's next? We found out what was next. We know where we had to go next from that series now to this next one. And it's going to be a series about transformation. And so that is the new series as we move forward, maybe a month or the last one, maybe a couple months, who knows. But we're going to walk through the scriptures. We're going to talk about some familiar characters from the previous series and, and how they didn't just encounter the Lord, but truly they were transformed by the Lord. And, and I'm just believing that we have five months left of this year. We're currently in summer and, and, and maybe for you, it's going to be the summer of transformation. It's even the title of the message today. Or maybe it's going to be the year of transformation because surely you're not going to walk into 2024 the way you came into 2023. God willing, if you've been a part of this church family, there's some discipleship, there's some growth, there's some hunger, there's some thirsting for righteousness. And so that's what transformation can be all about. Let's not just talk about it. Talk is cheap. Let's walk it out. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful from the depths of our soul for your love. As we took part in communion today, Father, I was just reminded of your sacrifice, of your love, of, of your faithfulness. And so I pray today as we gather, there'd be something that you do that you've always wanted to do. Something that maybe we've been too preoccupied that we couldn't see in the spiritual and we couldn't walk out in the natural that you'd reveal to us. So Holy Spirit, the Huach of God, we, 
We welcome you. We ask you lead this time together. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Illuminate our understanding to see you like we never have before. From the youngest to the oldest, we pray in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. I want to ask you a question. Can you remember moments or seasons of your life where there were dramatic changes, dramatic shifts, or transformations? Guys, I've got one for you. Do you remember growing up and the girls in your class being the enemy? Back in my day, we said cooties. Don't know what that means. I just knew if they touched you, you got whatever that was. But then around 10, 11, 12, your enemies, you began looking around, became your frenemies. Like, I don't mind her sitting next to me, right? Like, things began to shift in your mind and in your heart. My daughter just cringed on the front row. Was that a dad joke? I apologize. There was a bit of a shift there. Maybe you can remember the shift going from, I don't know, middle school to high school. Maybe the bigger shift from high school to college, when in college, they don't care if you show up or not. They're getting your money, right? You can be late. You can be there. You can do your homework or not. You can sleep. You are paying. That's a hotel room that you're sleeping at that desk. Different shifts in in life and and what that looked like for you. Anybody remember the shift from dial-up? Anybody remember the AOL? Anybody remember that shift? Like people with Wi-Fi wouldn't even know about that day. And like you couldn't use the phone because I had sisters and they were always on the phone and we couldn't use the internet because you only had that, that one line. Anybody remember that sound? We should have played that sound over the loudspeaker today. That, like it's going, it's coming, it's almost here. We're almost online. Anyone still have an AOL email? Where are you? There's a few of you in here. Who's got an AOL? Yep, one, two, three. Go ahead. This is a moment of confession. Four, shame the devil, confess your sins. Confess them. His wife raised her hand for him. Yes. She put him out there. Okay. But moments of shift and transition are often difficult. They can be tough. I even found they can be jarring. For some people, traumatic when you, you shift from one place to another, from one relationship status to another, from one place in life to another. And we know that transformations are important parts of life. For the sake of being on the same page, here's a good working definition of transformation. And it looks like this. Transformation is a complete or major change in someone or something's appearance or form. And so when we think about the Bible we read, we think about the faith that we profess and and being a disciple of Jesus Christ, maybe the most genuine part of Christianity is, listen to this, the transformation that's needed. The proof in the pudding, if I can say it like that. That as we move in this walk with Jesus Christ, the most authentic part is that there must be a shift. That we came into knowing him one way, but we walked out another way. There's, there's repentance. There's, there's sanctification. There's these qualities. There's these attributes of this faith that you won't find in any other faith. Can't just raise my hand and say I believe in Jesus and go and live in the same way and profess to be a disciple. Salvation is something that completely transformed my thinking, my worldview, the way I see him. And that is what truly separates this faith from the rest of the world, that Jesus has a transformation in store for all of us at that moment of salvation. But let me ask you a question, and this is not rhetorical. Is that the only salvation moment? I'm I'm sorry, is that the only transformation moment at salvation? 
No, see, as we move forward in life, there are different moments and seasons of transformation that as you read your Bible, you see characters going through men and women. I'm just not sure how much we apply that to our own lives. We see characters shifting. We see transformations. And I wonder, do we stop and we say, well, when's the last transformation I experienced? When's the last time God shifted everything in my life? When's the last time he turned everything upside down and I called it a hardship and he called it leading and guiding me? Do you see what I'm saying? Oftentimes, if we look through a worldview instead of a biblical worldview, we miss it. And here's what this time together in the series is going to do for us today. What I'm finding is this, is that an encounter with Jesus Christ, a true encounter with Jesus Christ, we're never the same. At least we're not supposed to be if it's authentic. You read the scripture, anyone who comes in encounter with Jesus, are they ever the same? You can go previous, you can go Old Testament. Anyone who encounters a Christophany or just his presence of God or the spirit of God, they're never the same because there's something genuine in the experience. There's not just a decision, but there's an ownership that after I experience God's best or I experience his presence or where he's leading and guiding me, I don't want to be the same. I want to move forward in my life. Someone say Amen. I say a true encounter because I personally come from a generation that uses Jesus as fashion. It's a fashion piece, as an item of clothing you can put on and put off. We use Jesus when necessary. Use him like a topical cream, as needed. Around certain Christian circles, certain scenarios that it would behoove us or benefit us to use Jesus' name. You need to get a prayer through for a health issue or relational issue or financial issue. But when he does it, then we're not so much walking in transformation or walking in the newness or or the blessing or or what he has for us. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the generation that I come from. And, and, And the problem with that is God has more for us in store than that. Every generation has to be willing to walk in transformation to walk in a space where God is constantly renewing, constantly revealing himself to us. And it's difficult. I would say in every generation, it's always been like this. It's always been going against the crowd. It's always been going against the crowd. And it doesn't matter, I found, what age you are, there's always this part of us that wants to belong. We want to belong in certain places and spaces, whether it's with friends or family or work colleagues or in society. We just want to belong. And that's part of the problem, not understanding. We weren't sent here to belong. We were sent here to swim uh, the other way, not the way everybody else is going. And that's difficult. Whether I'm talking right now to the college age generation, high school, or the older generation, it's difficult to do. And every generation has a problem with it. That's why you see morality constantly changing. Watch this. Not just in our country, but in our churches. Have you seen the things developing in the churches? That's why the country has changed, because the church has changed so much. Where we say we don't have to hold true to the words if it's not culturally appropriate. If it's too myopic, if it's too close-minded, if it's too... Someone said, old-fashioned, what? No, 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 no. God's word, God's standard, the biblical worldview, his precepts, his promises are true. Let every man be a lie. Let his word be true. We want to know what the real issues of our society and of our world is that we have drifted from the word of God. 
This is the core. This is the crux. And we can have all these other conversations, but until we return to a biblical worldview in every part of our life, in every part of our homes, in every part of our families, in every part of our society, we will constantly have the statistics that are going to come out every single month. And it's difficult because in our society, we're always going to be going the opposite way of the majority. C.S. Lewis puts it really, really well. Some of our younger generation, I want you guys to really pay attention to this quote. Watch how he said this. He said, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. What? You're not having sex till you get married? What's wrong with you? You lost your mind? Are you kidding me? That's what you call marriage, a man and a woman? Are you, are you nuts? What? What, what, what? what is wrong? You are, you are living for an ancient dated book? Are you kidding me? And not whatever is new, not whatever is popular, not whatever is the culture or the pulse, not whatever is, is being pumped out from society. Are you joking me right now? It's, it's, it's a view that Jesus says the road is narrow to eternal life. Why is the road of destruction? And, and there, there's precepts and concepts that, watch this, it's not with hate, it's with love. And it's God's view and God's best. And this is what we're seeing here when it comes to transformation. A true transformation, genuine salvation experience, says, I can't even go back if I wanted to. When you're truly transformed by the Lord, you couldn't even go back to the old habits, the old ways, the old lifestyles, the old relationships, fill in the blank, because we all have different life experiences. We can't go back even if we wanted to. I need someone to help me here. Anyone grow up with a praying mom or grandmother, and you try to go back to sin? How fun was it? How good did it taste? How good did it feel? You're like, man, sin doesn't even feel good anymore. Gosh. And you, you, you kept going back, and you kept trying it, but it didn't scratch the itch like it used to. Someone stopped being pious and say amen. amen. Like, you grew up with praying family and uncles and aunts and, and some fathers and grandfathers, and, and they were praying for you. So every time you went back to that place or to that relationship or to that habit or to that behavior or to that website, it just didn't feel right. Not like before. You felt more convicted, and you're like, what is going on here? Because there's a true transformation that took place in your soul. And with that comes conviction. And so I want to help us develop this understanding of what God has done, what he has prepped in his word and prepped for the believers here and what should be happening in our own souls. What you were experiencing and what God was doing in your life is he was putting on your new nature. Someone say the new nature. The new nature the scripture talks about. 1 Corinthians 2.6 says it like this. But we have the mind of who? Christ. It says that we have, we put on the mind of of Christ. There was a shift. There was a transformation in that salvation moment. And so when we go back to old habits and old behaviors and, and ways and, and things of the world, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be something in us that says, yeah, this isn't God's best for our life. This isn't what he desires. This isn't what he wants for our life. And so in the message last week, we, we unpacked in the, the book of Acts, um, Someone named Saul, who he'll become, I believe in Acts chapter 10, he'll become Paul. He uses his Gentile, his Roman name. And I'll go back and forth probably today. But we, we saw some excerpts from his encounter, but we didn't see the full scope of his transformation. And actually, it's, it's Acts 13, where he's going to be known as Paul. But we saw the encounter, but we didn't see the transformation of what that looked like. And so I want you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9. 
We're going to start in verse 19. And so we discussed that he was on the road to Damascus. He was going to the followers of the way. He was pursuing what he genuinely thought was God's will for his life. Genuinely thought what was God's will for his life, didn't he? And he finds out that although you can be genuinely authentic about something, you can still be wrong. And so as he does that, we find that he goes this whole series of having to be blind for three days and and receive back his sight. But then after that is where you're going to see the transformation where we pick up in verse uh, 19. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to do what? Preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. Question, do you think this is difficult for him? To go from outlawing Jesus and killing people and and coordinating the death of Stephen, the first martyr for the faith of Christianity. Do you think it was difficult for him to be pulling mothers and fathers out of home, separating families? Do you think it was difficult then to start preaching Jesus? Do you think it was difficult? Let me tell you why it wasn't. Because Jesus was all in the scriptures. Messiah was all in the scriptures. Now he could point to, oh, this is the one Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah were talking about. This is the one, Genesis says, and we saw that it was good. I don't think the understanding of Jesus was hard. Maybe the the lifestyle changed, the recognizing Messiah Messiah was different. But as far as knowledge and understanding, he's like, oh, no, no, I, I can just now turn my focus to Messiah. And so now he's preaching Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it says all those who heard him were astonished. Can you imagine They were like, I don't know if he's going to take me out or pray for me. I don't know what's going to happen here because he was killing followers of the way. They said, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? What you're seeing here is that a real transformation evokes a genuine reaction from those in your circles. You see, as we live for the God of this Bible, not the God of how you grew up, not the God of the church you grew up with, not the God of your family, not the God of how you come from and where you come from in your worldview, the God of this Bible, because I found those can be different. As you you follow the God of this Bible, you're going to see that he has embedded seasons and moments of our life of transformation. Surely you're not the same person today as you were as you entered the year. You You don't see the world the same. You don't see God the same. You don't see the word the same. And, and as those transformation happens, it's genuine. People in your spheres of influence, people in your circles, they begin to notice it with your spouse. They should see you be more genuine and kind and loving. They should at some point in the year say, who are you? What have you done with my husband? What have you done with my wife? There's a transformation that God is doing inside of all of us men that we should be growing and loving our wife as Christ loved what? The church. There should be a death to self. There should be a competing to serve each other and not to say, what have you done for me lately? And I'm just, I don't know the right word to use from it, for it, but I guess I can say it's getting a little bit hard to hear time and time again, hearing married couples saying, well, this is what he's not doing for me. This is what she's not doing for me. Let me help you out. You don't know the point of marriage. It's not that everything looks good. It's in the same position it was when we got married. That's, that's real talk, right? It, it's not that I'm doing something to appease you so often. The Bible says the point of marriage is the love of Christ towards his church. 
That's why it should not be broken. That's why it's a holy covenant. That's why it should not be answered to lightly. That's why it can't be changed. That's why the structure given in the Bible is what we maintain by. It is not for us to manipulate or change or to say, this is not what I want. No, Lord, does this honor you? I'm going to preach whether you help me or not. This is what holy matrimony is, and we throw it around in our culture, and we, we, we have reality TV shows about it. This, it's, I just wonder how much God sits in heaven with a broken heart looking at marriage today. But wait, this is the covenant I gave you to show you how much I love the church, and I'm married to her, and I'm for her. I'll never leave her or forsake her, and you're making it your own? You're saying, well, he or she just doesn't move me the way I used to. Are you, are you joking me right now? And, and I just wonder how God's heart looks towards that. But when these true transformation happen in our life, people in our spheres of influence should notice, not just our spouse, but family members. At this upcoming Thanksgiving and, and Christmas gatherings, they should notice, wow, you're, you're a little bit different, a little bit nicer this year. There, there's something different about you. You're, you're more kind, you're more caring, a little bit more empathetic this year. Even people at church. Everyone knows the, the mean and angry, bitter people at church, right? Everybody knows that person. Not raising your hand, you might be them. But like even at church, you're like, wow, you're, 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 just, you're nice. Wow. Yeah, like there's something different. Like you want to help more. You're, you're kind, you're giving, you're loving. There's something that there should be traits of Jesus. We should love more, be more long-suffering. We shouldn't be so hard to deal with. Can I just be honest? Just don't be so hard to deal with. Don't take yourself too serious. The world doesn't rise and fall on you. It rises and fall on Jesus. I mean, we just got some mean Christians, some nasty Christians. The world's probably like, if you're going to heaven, I don't want to go. <laughs> Based on your household and what I watch and how you act and, and your life and your family, yeah, well, wherever else is the opposite of where you're going, sign me up for that place. Like, let's be honest for a moment. The only thing, the only problem the world has with the church is the example that we show them in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces. The only problem the world could have is what they see of us. And there's got to be something that we take this thought, this idea, this understanding the Bible teaches us of transformation so, so serious. We'll unpack how important Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, is. But what's so important about his life is he is the living, embodied demonstration of what transformation truly looks like at the salvation moment, but continually developing transformation in the life of a believer and leading others, disciples, believers, the church, into the transformation that God desires. So here's a question I have for you. I wonder what part of your life could use a real transformation. It's a question for you to think about right now. I wonder what part of your life, could you just do some business with God for a moment, could use real transformation, inwardly, outwardly, Mentally, emotionally, what, what areas of life could use real transformation? There should be monthly, quarterly, certainly annually, something in your heart that God is dealing with. I have things that God is dealing with me right now with do you? And if not, it's time to start having those conversations and start asking God about those things. And here's what I'll tell you from experience. Transformation in ungodly areas, unhealthy habits of life or relationships Areas that we don't trust God in, areas that we're fully not, not fully surrendered to God in, it's hard to change those areas. But continuing in those areas is hard as well. Continue to go through conviction and be disobedient. 
continue to operate in the gray. You guys know what operating in the gray is? We ask these questions. Well, is it really sin? You've already gone too far. <laughs> like, if I do this, is it really like, I mean, what would God say? Jesus knows. Like, it's a different time of culture then. Like, we live in the 21st century. You're already asking the wrong question. This is what I want to be real transparent about. Transformation is hard, but staying the same is hard. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. You can stay exactly the way you are. I can stay exactly the way I am. Or I could, by the renewing of my mind and renewing of my heart, and approach God with humility and say, Lord, change me. Lord, do whatever you want to do. That's hard, too. I know what heart I'm choosing today. I'm choosing to give him full access to transform me to the man he wants me to be, to the spouse he wants me to be, to the father he wants me to be, to the pastor he wants me to be, to the believer he wants me to be. There's this beautiful, beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is later on in his life that Saul, who becomes Paul, will pen this, and the, the, the poetry to it, the, the, the authenticity to it, it's just amazing. I want to read it to you. It says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of our Lord, are being what? The veil has fallen. We now see him for who he is. Into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Look at this scripture. It doesn't say we're being transformed by improving our behavior. But, by, but being transformed by beholding the glory of our Lord. How beautiful. It lets us know it's not by doing more, but by getting to know him more. Anybody want to know him more? Anybody want to behold his glory, behold his beauty? Anybody want to see him in a light that you've not seen him before? Anybody want to grow in their faith, mature in their faith? Anybody want to walk out of this building different than you walked in this building? Anybody want to log off online different than when you came in online? Anybody just want more of him? I'm telling you, it's available. And we don't have to just settle for this cheap, westernized mindset of who he is and what he is. He's my God if he comes to in this situation. No, he's my God in all things, in all scenarios, in all seasons. Someone say amen. Not everything is going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. I want to take you now through Saul's now transformation. We saw the encounter. We saw the, the transformation, maybe salvation moment, you could call it. Now as we go on to verse 22 in chapter 9, you're going to see the continued transformation. It says this in verse 22. Yet Saul did what? Grew more and more, I like to say, transformed and transformed. He was seeing God in these different lines and seeing him in this different way. He was willing to say, God, have your way in me. And his transformation, here's a real one. Here's what should be happening at your next Christmas gathering, your next family reunion, the next time you have an all-hands meeting, a networking meeting at work. Here's the next thing to happen. And baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the what? Messiah. The change happening in him, the transformation, the good work that God was doing that started and he was continuing to do, it baffled people around him. After many days had gone by, watch what happens now. The same people he was working with, the same people he was having cookouts on the weekend with, watch what they were doing now. There was conspiracy among the Jews. Now look what they're trying to do. They're trying to kill him now. But Saul learned their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. 
But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Wow. So you're telling me not everything and everyone in our lives is meant to be there as we transform? You're telling me that as we go through this process, as we go through transformation, as we're obedient to what God calls us to do, uh, transformation and people who want to trans- go through that process and want to grow, those are the people that will be in my circles, that sometimes you outgrow your circles. Sometimes you outgrow your relationships. Sometimes you outgrow your friend groups. Sometimes you outgrow your hobbies. You're telling me that there's a, a space and a point where sometimes those who are friends could potentially become I don't know if enemies is a strong word, but for him, they became his enemies. That they don't see things the same way that we see them now because we want more of God, watch this, and less of the gray, and less of compromise, and less of the world, and less of doing it the way of the world, and more of doing it the way of God. You're telling me that sometimes we can shift in these areas and not everyone's going to be happy for us? That's exactly what we're seeing here, that transformation isn't always the easiest process. We see here, Saul was unaware he needed growth and transformation in his life until he went through the hardships of the road to Damascus. And I'm just guessing he wasn't even thinking about transformation or even thinking it was necessary into a hardship. And so can you be mindful of hardship sometimes? Sometimes hardships, I found, can be God tapping on our shoulders. Hey, let's change some things up. Let's, let's, let's rearrange some things in our life. How many of us, like Saul, came in today not thinking that transformation was necessary? You didn't come in for a transformation message. That's not what you had your pen and paper ready to, to talk about. Not transformation. Many came to participate today, not necessarily be transformed. Transform is not easy. Transformation calls for effort on our part. And maybe... And I wrote this down last night and I was praying and processing this message. Maybe the most dangerous religious posture of the 21st century church is that we can to participate, but not to be transformed. And if we're tracking with the scripture, we're walking through the book of Acts. There was no participation trophies. There was no green ribbons. Can't stand it, the green ribbons. It's first, second, and third place. All right, there's no green ribbons. But there was no participation. There was either you're willing to be transformed or you're not, Ananias and Sapphira. You're in or you're out. Transformation is what God desires. Here's another thought. Participation without transformation equals religion, staleness, being lukewarm, and I've seen it lead to backsliding, falling away from the things of God, getting back to old habits and behaviors. Paul refused to operate in this space. Even, you just saw, when his transformation cost him to lose friends, cost him to lose circles, cost him to lose opportunities, cost him to lose promotions, cost him to lose his seat, potentially part of the Sanhedrin and other important Jewish circles. It cost him eventually his what? Life. But see, when you begin to transform, you begin to see God do great things, you can say what he declares in Philippians 1.21. This is him yet again. You know, a lot of his scriptures are coming at us. He says, to live is Christ and to die is what? He said, I, 
I want to be transformed no matter the cost. I want to pursue the things of God. I want to grow my faith. I want to continue to seek his face. And no matter the cost, see, when you begin to grow in your faith, you begin to look forward to transformation. There is no cost too high. And he said, it'll cost my life. Well worth it. Because to live is Christ and to die is it's just going to be gain. I want, I want to take a, a minute here and, and, and give you the opportunity to pull out your cell phone if you don't have pen and paper, because I want you to type something or write something down. This is the pastor officially saying you can take your phones out, but not to check anything. Go to the notes section. Or if you have pen and paper, I want you to write something down. As the summer closes out, we head back into the school year, into the fall. And as we have the five months left of the year before we head in 2023, 2024, here's my question. What needs to be transformed in my life? I'm asking myself what you ask yourself. And I don't know the areas. I just know that we can't stay as we are. And if you think you can stay as you are, there's, there's more things to work on than just this message. Here's a couple ideas and a couple thoughts. Maybe you'll find. But I'm asking you to review this in your private time with God. Here's the first one. Does your relationship with Jesus or his bride, you know who his bride is, right? The church. Does that need to be transformed? Is there a certain staleness to your time with the Lord, to your time in church, to your time serving church, or, or giving your tithe and your offering, or, or any of the things involved with Jesus and his bride? Is there a certain, mm, not really feeling it. It's not really what I want to do. It's just not like it used to be. It's not like the good old days, whatever the good old days are. Everyone has their concept of the good old days. Or maybe for someone else, maybe a stale relationship with your spouse. It's not what it used to be. He's not, she's not what they used to be. There's a lot better things out there. I deserve more. I've given more. Like Just a stale kind of thought process and conversation. You can't even find that language in the Bible. You cannot. The, the Bible talks about rejoicing and growing and learning new ways to love and appreciate, not to devalue. And so if you find yourself in that space, honestly, it's time for a transformation. Or maybe dysfunctional relationships with family and friends and coworkers. And I'll be honest with you, if you see a pattern of dysfunction with family, friends, and coworkers, and you're the common denominator, need I say any more? I'm not a therapist, psychologist, but I think it speaks for itself. A transformation needs to be happen needs to be happening in you. Next, contentment with life and, and current season or circumstances. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because we've got to believe that God closes every door that He should close and open every door that He should open. We've got to believe He has us right where we're supposed to be. And if we are faithful and obedient and going through every transformational process He's calling us to. When it's time, he's big enough. He's God enough. He can change every circumstance under the sun. Here's another one. Discipline in your finances. That can be difficult, especially if you've let things go. Transformation could be needed there. How about freedom from ungodly habits, behaviors, and attitudes? Someone say attitudes. Oh, man, the most godly people have good attitudes. I'm just going to leave it at that. Attitudes are something serious in our day and age. But maybe there are some habits and behaviors and attitudes that they're just not God glorifying. It's just not representative of fruits of the spirit. Could that be the transformation area? Or the last that's massive in our culture, mental and emotional health concerns. Please remember, God gave us emotions. He didn't give us emotions to be led by. 
He gave us a motion that we lead them. We say, no, that is not godly. No, I will not think that way or act that way. I will not work from insecurities and fears. I will live for God and emotions. You will obey God. You will be faithful and obedient to the word of God and not my whims. Amen? So hopefully by the end of the summer, the fall, by the end of the year, you're dusting these notes off. Tomorrow night we have a prayer and fast. We'll be here. Those could be some prayer points for you. Like we have to take this relationship with God so serious where it doesn't become mundane or boring or stale. That's not God. That's us. God's never mundane. He's never boring. He's never stale. The word of God says it's living. It's breathing. It's, it's powerful. And so if anything's boring or stale, that's going to be our lack of transformation, our lack of engagement. Amen? Transformation comes in stages. And it seems like today I've got a lot of like, like bulleted point things, but I just want to make sure that we're understanding as we prep this series of, of what transformation looks like in the life of a believer. What stages are you in in transformation? For some of you, you're at ground zero today. You've never even thought about it. And for some of you, you've already been praying and processing through this idea. For Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, we're seeing in his life, he's going to go through these transformation stages and see if you see some beneficial characteristics here. As we read through his story in the book of Acts, the first thing you saw was humility and recognition. When he's knocked on his back, Acts 9.5 says, he said, who are you, Lord? He was, he was humble. He was coming before the Lord and saying, I need to know who you are and what you are. I need to know what you want to say, what you want to do. Your first step of transformation is just Humility and recognition that I need transformation. If you walk out of here saying your spouse needs it, your friend needs it, your mean boss needs it, somebody in the country needs it, you've missed the message completely. You've missed it all. Humility and recognition. Lord, I need transformation, Lord, in these areas or show me the areas. The next thing we saw in his life was a willingness to surrender to God. A willingness to surrender to God. Acts 9, 6, he said with trembling and astonishment, he said, Lord, what do you want from me? Here's where he stands out for most of us. He didn't say, hey, what about that person? What about that person running, running the country, Rome, and, and running Jerusalem? What about, no, what about me? What do you want from me? And he was with some other guys too, his company of people. What about that guy? What about that guy? What about me, Lord? What do you want to change? What do you want to do? And we see that God does some pretty miraculous and powerful things as he leads with a willingness to surrender to God. The next one's kind of fun, and I'll tell you why. The next one is blind faith. Here's why I think it's funny. God calls us to walk by faith and not by what? So God calls us all to have blind faith. And when we don't want to have blind faith, you know what God does? Blinds us. Anyone been in a season, you had no clue what God was doing? A lot of you in a season right now. Sometimes God will blind us because we won't operate by faith. He won't show us the next week, the next month, the next year, not even the next whatever. Because we won't walk by faith. We want to walk by sight. We want to trust in the things that we can taste, touch, see, and smell. What's the last one? Taste, touch, see, smell. Here. A teacher on the front row, thank you. <laughs> always keep a teacher by you. I've learned, always keep a good teacher by you. We want to operate by what we can see, but you know what God will do sometimes? Blind us. 
And we got to operate by, I don't know what God is going to do. And God, why are you doing this to me? And God is probably saying, why are you doing this to me? What did he have to do to Saul? Blind him. Because he's operating by what he could see instead of faith. And so we're told that God blinds him. Does God have to blind us today with our purpose, with our direction, with insight? Is that what God has to do to get us to a place that we are seeing him in the light that he should? I don't know. The last thing that we saw in his life was he was accountable to fellow believers. You saw this in Acts 9, 17. He was blinded because he wasn't walking by faith. He was walking by sight. And do you remember what made the things like scales fall off his eyes and give him vision? Do you remember what happened? He came in contact with other believers, namely Ananias. He came into community. He had a prayer, a hand laid on him, prayed, submitted himself. I don't have it all together. I don't get it. I don't know what God is doing. But if I come together with community and accountability, oh, by the way, our group start up in a week. Anybody's looking for this? Then the scales, the blinders fell off because it came together with other believers, men and women who loved and prayed, who served God. And we're talking, we see that he regained his vision. And so as we close out our service today, here, here's where I want to land some thoughts. Saul will go through a transformation and then he is commissioned for the rest of his life to lead both Jew and Gentile through, through transformation. He said he's called the Gentiles but also the Jews are affected. We know this. Everything you will see Paul, Saul or Paul do, see, I keep going back and forth, is primary through the lens of transformation. He must walk through transformation before he can lead others through transformation. So could it be that God has given you this message in this season of your life to lead somebody else in another season of life? Could it be? Transformation is part of God's plan for all believers. Transformation is the part of the is, is the main theme of Old Testament to New Testament. The Old Testament is God setting up a people before a nation. Do you know why he did that? Because we have to be loyal to him before our country. And so he creates the people of Israel before the nation of Israel because he wants our undivided loyalty and allegiance, him and him alone. And so the story of the Bible is transformation from the prophecies and the prophets talking about the coming of Messiah. And then Messiah comes, it's a transformation of old covenant to new covenant. And as Saul becomes Paul comes on the scene, what's happening? The transformation of rigid, religious, legalistic to relationship. He wanted them to know him not as some God off over there somewhere, but he's relational. He's for you. He's by your side. And that's what our whole Bible speaks about the transformation of the believer from old covenant to new covenant. But here's what I found out in my life. Transformation is not cheap. Cost God everything, his son. It cost Jesus his life. It cost Saul his worldview. It's going to be costly to you. The older I get, I, I don't want a deal on stuff, not important stuff. I don't, I don't want it on the cheap. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's important and it's for my family, like, don't, don't give me a deal. Like, I want it done the right way. And I think in this transformation process, don't look for it on the cheap. Moment of confession, I bought a watch one time in a parking lot. Who does that? Parking lot, yeah. Clearly it was fake. I said, you know what? This guy looks honest. 
Transformation you don't get in the parking lot on the cheap. I feel like you're not laughing with me. I feel like you're laughing at me. <laughs> Courtney was like, you did what? I was like, I thought it was a good idea at the time. It was in the parking lot. Transformation is not cheap. You got to be willing to pay the cost. And you'll see what that looks like. You'll see what the cost is. You'll see how God reveals that to you in your life. And transformation is exciting because it leads to testimony. Someone say testimony. Transformation leads to testimony. When we hear about people and their great testimonies, well, I was in this crazy lifestyle, I was on this amount of drugs and this and that, and then then I came to Christ. We're like, oh, I wish I had that testimony, but can I help you? Every testimony is exciting and profound. What's more profound than a soul being lost, headed to an attorney separated from Jesus in hell, but then finding a relationship with God through Jesus? What's more exciting than that? And this is what Saul begins to do in his circles. He begins to testify. Because some people can say, well, I don't believe your Bible. It's old-fashioned. It was back then. But you know what they couldn't do to him or to you? They couldn't discount his life and your life. Because they knew you and they knew me and they knew him before the transformation. And before God started turning our lives around and changing us. And the testimony could not be refuted. The only thing they could do was try to kill him. And so here's how we finish with this first segment or state of transformation with, with Saul. Acts 24, verse 2 says this. He's brought before the, the same people that he worked with to organize killing followers of the way. And he has his first chance to testify to his good friends, the ones that he watched the game with, the one that they probably still had some of his tools, the one that they cooked out together on the weekends. He says this. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council themselves can testify, he's looking at them and saying, you guys know me. This is me. This is Shaul. Like, you guys, we, we, we've been hanging for a while. This is me. I even obtained letters from them, sitting in front of him, to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so he's now testifying, hey, remember me? Like, this is real. This is authentic. But like I said earlier, not everyone's meant to go with you in that new season. Not everyone's going to celebrate God transforming things in your life. And I want to close with verse 21. He goes to this whole dialogue of testimony and what God has done and, and what God is doing through the transformation stage. But here's what he says that he gets from God. And here's what I'm hoping at the end of the summer, the end of the year, however you process this, I hear, I pray this is what you get. Verse 21 says, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. He got his marching orders. I'm sending you. I'm leading you. No more blinders needed. No more scales needed. Now I've got clear insight. I've got clear direction. I know what God is saying because I've been open to the transformational process. I've been open to the word of God. I've been open to what his word says and not what my word says. I'm dependent no longer on the flesh, but on the spirit. I'm dependent on you and you alone. And then this is a second scale falling off, if you will, direction. If you're looking for direction, here's where you'll find it. And lastly, when when God can trust you, he can entrust you. That Bible you're holding in your lap or that app, 
Paul writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books. One third of that New Testament Bible you're holding is from Mr. Transformation over here. It's from the one that lost a lot of friends and a lot of opportunities. But he said to live as Christ and and to die as gain. So if you'll stand with me as we close out here today, I'm going to close out with a song that we sang with our dream team this morning as we prepare to serve you coming to church today. It's a song that speaks of, it's a familiar song, it's an old school song the younger generation would say, but it speaks of desperation. And I want us just to sing this just for a moment as we close out today. And, and as we think through transformation, I can think of nothing better than crying out to God with desperation. We sing, this is the ivory. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy praise is living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Very word. Your very word. Spoken to me. Sing, I'm desperate. And I. I pray there's a desperation in this room. I pray there's a desperation online, God. We repent for coming before you any other way, God. How could we come before you and not be desperate? How could we seek your face and not want more of you? How could we ever come before you as takers and not givers, God? How could we ever not be desperate for you? Lord, today birth something in this place birth something in this church father birth a desperation for you for your presence for your spirit a hunger and a thirsting for righteousness and for your word and to build your kingdom and to be workers father and to be harvesters of the kingdom of god lord i'm afraid that we have shown desperation for everything else the world offers more so than you I'm afraid we're desperate, Lord, for everything else, goals and dreams and retirement. And if we compared it to you today, Father, it would be no comparison, Lord. You fall so far down on that list. But today, in Jesus' name, we right-size you. We move you up in the pecking order from four or five, six, seven or ten to number one. 
You are the preeminent one. You are Yahweh. You are over and above everything. The omniscient, our present one, the omnipresent one. You are our everything. So Jesus, can you just deal with our hearts right now? Well, let us be desperate for you this week. We find ourselves being desperate for other things, circumstance, situation, relation things, relational things. God, may we right-size our heart and be desperate for you. We pray, Father, with all of our hearts. With your heads bowed, if you are far from Jesus Christ in this place today, if you find your heart needing to rededicate your life because you may have prayed a prayer, but you have not lived a lifestyle and you have walked away, we want to welcome you to pray a prayer of rededication. And maybe for some, you say, it was never authentic. It was never real. There was never a transformation in my life. That's a salvation prayer. And whether you're in the building or online, this moment is for you. And we gladly join you and pray this prayer with this rededication for the very first time, making a true stand to receive the transformational salvation of Jesus Christ. We want to offer that to you today. And so church, can you pray with us and those who be praying this? And so if that's you, just posture yourself and posture your heart, bow your head, raise your hands, do whatever to you is a sign of surrender afresh and anew to our King. Church, let's pray with those who are praying this. Lord God, we believe in you. We believe in your son, Jesus. We believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We receive salvation. Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and for relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Put your hands together for the goodness of our God and all those who prayed that prayer. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, please check out our website at LegacyChurchAI.org or follow us on social media at LegacyChurchAI. We'll see you next time.